Hi, I'm Larry Reed, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and today we are going to talk about Christian apologetics. And I can think of no better person to be with us for this topic than Justin Brierley. Justin is the radio host of the show Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio in the UK, which you can get as a podcast download on your favorite podcast app. He seeks to reopen the debate with atheists and skeptics by bringing them on his show to air their arguments for and against the Christian faith. He's also the host of Ask N.T. Wright Anything, a podcast where he sits down with none other than N.T. Wright and asks listener questions. And actually, Justin was gracious enough to let us use a clip of us asking Tom questions from LCI, uh, which happens to be our episode 129, or you can check out his podcast on Ask N.T. Wright Anything. So, Justin, thank you for being with us on this show. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you, Doug. Thanks for the invitation. So you are sort of, in a way, you're on the front lines of the debate between Christians and atheists because you're bringing them together very actively on your show. And I know that your your goal is to sort of have a better conversation as a Christian with those who are not of the Christian faith. Do you find that that's easier over time? I mean, you've been doing this for about a decade. I would wonder if at the beginning it's very trepidatious for you and, and now it's just kind of easy, but I don't think that's probably a great impression. Well, I, certainly, I think it gets easier in, in as much as, um, as uh, over the years, I've built up a good network of people, uh, friendships, both with Christians and non-Christians. And um, in that sense, I've got more choice than I had at the beginning of the show, uh, where I was, you know, really starting out from scratch. Mm. And so it's it's that much easier for me to, to find the right people to bring together for a discussion. Um I think the fact is, you know, I'm, you know, over well now 13 years really since I started this program, I've learned an awful lot myself along the journey. And so I I think I've got a much clearer idea about what I want out of the show, um, what kind of the most key areas for me are to, to be examining. Whereas when I began, you know, I, I, I was learning as I went the whole area of apologetics, theology, um, evangelism, so on. And so it's, it's been, um, a long time thing and you learn a lot on the way. And so inevitably it does become easier. Having said that, that doesn't mean that I've, you know, it's easier in the sense of um, the questions, the dialogues can be just a tough, you know, the objections are still there. Um, I think I, I, it's just I can navigate them a bit more easily than I than I did when I started out. What do you think uh, many in the church are missing out on uh, by not being good listeners of those who are not of our faith? Well, I think listening is really important because um, firstly, you don't really understand someone unless you listen to their perspective. I think Unfortunately, a lot of apologetics is kind of um, the non-listening variety where we're really just there to get a particular answer to something. Uh, and and I think people can tell when you're not actually that interested in having the convers- a genuine conversation. You're just there to try to make sure that you put your particular perspective across. Um, so I think it, you have to listen in order to have a genuine conversation and for another person to feel like their point of view is being taken seriously. I don't think they're going to really 
be willing to listen to what you have to say unless they feel they are being listened to. So the forms of apologetics, which are really just a, I'm going to tell you what I think is the case and what the answer is, uh, inevitably are limited in, in, in what they can realistically do for the skeptic um, who, who won't necessarily feel like they're being taken seriously. So for, for many of our listeners, they, they may not have heard your show, and I, and I hope they go and listen to it because it's been one of my favorite shows over, I think I've known about it for five or six years. And uh, so tell us a little bit about how it got started. What is the sort of the format and the premise of, the, of this show? The show really began um, not long after I joined Premier Christian Radio, which is um, one of the UK's only Christian radio stations. Um, and I, was, I guess it was about three years in, having learned something of the the art of journalism and radio production, I went to the manager of the station and said, I'd really love to start a, at least one point in the week where we engage outside of the Christian bubble. Um, because most of the people who uh, are listening to our radio station, they're actually interacting on a daily basis with non-Christian friends, family, and and everything else. And so the idea of the show was really just at one point in the week to be able to bring a Christian and non-Christian together to have a conversation that I would moderate and to help the Christians listening to think about how they would have that kind of conversation, hopefully give them some tools to to think through the question that's being discussed or whatever. Um, and, uh, and that you know, was a live format initially. Then we kind of went to a pre-recorded format um, and it was great fun. Um, what really changed though the show um, was when we started podcasting it uh, a year or two in um, from, from having begun the show and gradually started to accumulate a number of listeners, not just in the UK, but overseas from that. And not just Christian listeners either. Um, a number of non-Christians started listening. Uh, perhaps, you know, I would have maybe a reasonably well-known atheist or agnostic on the show, they might share it with their fan base on their blog or whatever. And suddenly I'd find, you know, that I was I was reaching more and more non-Christians and secular people. And so um, that was really, took the show in a, a really interesting direction because it wasn't just a Christian audience listening. It was a very mixed audience listening. And I felt, you know, that I needed to do a good job of representing both sides because I've had both of those uh, segments listening uh, to the podcast, and and over time, in all honesty, the podcast took over, if you like, as um, the the main way in which people listen. So it has its audience still on a Saturday afternoon when it broadcasts here in the UK, but most people actually listen somewhere around the world via podcast, and uh, and that's been an amazing privilege because it's it's led to me you know, meeting all kinds of people, having all kinds of opportunities to take the show, um, particularly over to the USA recently, Canada and other places, um, and and increasingly see the show develop from just uh, these weekly conversations to, to video conversations, uh, to events, to a book that I wrote a couple of years ago, and that kind of thing. Uh, and so um, all of it, though, comes back to that original, you know, idea of simply sitting down and having honest conversations, really, um, open-ended conversations, uh, not necessarily conversations where one person is the clear winner and destroys the other person, uh, but where <laughs> hopefully both people feel like they got a chance to say what they wanted to say. And um, and in the process, yeah, a lot of people seem to have enjoyed that format and and li listened along. So so that's the, the show in a nutshell, really. 
Yeah, I found your show and you every now and then will go into sort of the just the Christian debate, like you'll have a debate over atonement or evolution and creation or something like that. And that's that's how I got to your show. I'm pretty sure I did a search for N.T. Wright on my podcast app. And, you know, of course, yours is going to be one of the ones that comes up. I've often wondered, how do you choose how to pair your guests? You know, I can imagine listeners out there saying you should get this person versus this person because I want to hear their ideas interact. And, And does that happen or how do you how do you go about doing that? Yeah, a lot of the show ideas do come from listeners. Um, you know, uh, every week I get people emailing or tweeting or whatever suggestions for people. Um, and if I hear like a particular name crop up enough times, it'll probably make me think actually, well, sounds like this, this would be, a, you know, someone people would like to hear, hear from. Um, so sometimes it, yeah, it could be literally, you know, a listener or even someone themselves putting themselves forward. And, and that's the way that a show comes about. Um, other times I'll have spotted, you know, an author with a new book or something like that. Someone who's, who's got some interesting ideas and I'll think, well, mm-hmm. who would be an interesting, um, you know, match up for them? Um, you mean, you mentioned N.T. Wright, who's obviously been on the show, the unbelievable show several times. And I now run another podcast with him on a regular basis, but, um, about, uh, just over a year ago, we did, uh, a really interesting sort of matchup between him and uh, Tom Holland, who's a popular historian mm-hmm. in, in the UK. Um, I just literally just released a new book actually on the history of Christianity in the West. Um, but um, Tom Holland, not a Christian, but having a really interesting conversation with N.T. Wright and being able to put two people who hadn't met each other before uh, and and kind of just having a unique conversation where they just both got on like a house on fire. Just so much interesting stuff came out of that. Um, that that's just a huge privilege um, when when you kind of are able to create unique content by bringing two well known people or two interesting people together, and then something new emerges out of it. So so yeah, it's 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 a bit of me thinking it through and trying to find the right matches. It's often other people suggesting, uh, and as you say, a lot of them are. Um, it, it's not just the Christian, uh, non-Christian kind of di- dialogues. A lot of them are those those inter-Christian theological discussions. Um, and uh, sometimes you just get the right combination and things, you know, really work well. Sometimes I don't always get it right and people kind of speak past each other or whatever because it turns out they, they weren't the best match necessarily. So mm. so you, you, you kind of find out as you go and gradually I think I've got better probably over the years at anticipating what makes the most sense in terms of a matchup. So how does the, you know, I know you've had people live in the studio and then, you know, not everybody can can show up in your studio in, in London, I believe. So when you have somebody like N.T. Wright, he often I think comes in, but then you may not have somebody in the studio. So how does that, experience differ from like having the two people in studio with you is is the dynamic how how is the dynamic different yeah it's definitely different i mean my preference always if possible is is getting two people face to face with me in a studio um that's you you read so much don't you from people's visual cues um you know that there's there's all those dynamics that you miss when you've simply got someone on the end of a line or on a skype call or something like that but of course um the reality is you know <laughs> unfortunately not every studio at the time I want them to. So uh, particularly when you're trying to match up two different people's schedules. Um, so very frequently on my show, it is one person maybe on the line, one person in studio or both of them on the line. Uh, and you just, you just work with that. You, you accept that there's limitations uh, to that. Um, and you tend to, I tend to have to do more of the kind of 
playing relay between them um, if it's two people on the end of a line, whereas you don't have to do that so much if people are in front of you. They, they'll mm. kind of have the conversation more naturally um, if they're both in studio. But um, to be honest, you know, probably two thirds of my shows these days do have someone who's on the line, you know, just because lots of the guests that I want to bring on are abroad in, in the USA or wherever. And so, so that means that um, it makes sense to use that. Uh, more and more though, recently, you know, we've done um, in-person discussions in, in video format and that, that, that I really like if possible to get people together face to face, even if it kind of takes a bit of arranging. Because for me, it does feel different when, when you've got two people in the same room. Yeah. You definitely get something a bit better out of it in the end. Yeah. Well, I certainly enjoy your show. And one one thing that I'm really glad that we get to talk about here is your book, which is, you know, I've I've often listened to you moderate and I think, I wonder what Justin actually thinks. Because he, you know, you, you can ask a question in such a way that makes you think, oh, you're sympathetic to one side. But then, you know, 12 minutes later, it's, you know, you're, it sounds like you're sympathetic to the other side and, and you're, you're being a very good moderator in that regard. And so when your book came out, it's like, oh, well, I get to hear from Justin <laughs> and his experiences and and how he's changed. So, you know, I I read your book. I actually listened to the audiobook, which I appreciate that you did the reading. I'm so used to your voice. Uh, just a little bit of an aside here. I'm so used to your voice in normal speed. I often listen to my audiobooks at like one and a half speed. So I had to actually go back to 1.0 <laughs> speed <laughs> because I'm. I, it would be really weird listening to your voice uh, uh, at one and a half speed. So anyway, uh, I took my time. <laughs> um I don't have as much time anymore as I used to, um, you know, with kids and family and work and everything to read apologetics books. And there are there are a lot out there. I mean, from anything from, you know, the, the debate on origins to, you know, just all of the new stuff coming out from what we call the new atheists. Uh, your book is a is a really good distillation of a lot of the arguments coming against Christians in the past decade and even, you know, for centuries. Mm. And so I'm really glad that your book exists because for those of us who don't quite have the time to dive into every single issue, we get kind of a summary. And I, I like also that, you know, your book recounts your journey as radio host, which is, you know, something you just did a little bit here in this this conversation. Um, so tell us a little bit about your personal journey in, you know, did you grow up in the church? You know, when did you sort of make your faith really real for you and kind of get in the direction trajectory that you're you are now? Yeah. Well, my, my own personal story is that I did grow up in a Christian family and um, that really, yeah, gave me a, a grounding, I suppose, in Christian faith to start with. It became my own faith, uh, I would say, around the age of 15 when um, I, I think I went from going with my parents to actually owning it for myself. There was a kind of a, a moment, I would say, in my journey where uh, God really came alive for me in a new way. Um, and that was through the help of a youth pastor who who was very influential on me and and so that sort of uh was was where things began you know where i really started taking christianity seriously my walk with god and so on um about the age of 15 and i kind of was fairly quickly sort of exploring at one level or another the the intellectual side of the faith i i always been you know a reader um I enjoyed well the chronicles of narnia from cs lewis were read to me when i was a child and that as a te in my late teens, I started reading his apologetic works as well. And, and that sort of carried on through university years. Um, I was involved both in kind of the uh, a dramatic side of Christian ministry. I, I helped to do, I was involved in acting quite a bit at, at university, 
both doing theatre shows, but also I, I headed up a Christian Arts and Drama Society where we did evangelistic mime and drama for university missions and things like this. Um, and that was kind of going alongside, obviously, uh, Oxford University, exploring some of those big intellectual questions as well, um, because I was doing a degree in philosophy, politics and economics. And so inevitably, when you're in that milieu, you you start to look at some of these issues. So uh, I wouldn't say, though, I, I kind of really even knew what the word apologetics meant or was before I really started my career in radio. Um, really, I think that whole area has has taken off in a much bigger way since the advent of the new atheism, you know, in the early 2000s. And so that, that it was in that kind of milieu that I started the show and very quickly discovered that there were, you know, beyond C.S. Lewis, a, a lot of modern day apologists and theologians who were um, debating the ideas of, of atheism and skepticism and, uh, and, you know, creating some really interesting material. And so that was kind of how I ended up eventually getting to the point where, my my own faith journey took me in in having got myself into media and radio, uh, starting to engage that uh, in a kind of intellectual way on air, um, and that's that's been a really yeah exciting journey for me. Um, it began certainly I think with an experience. Uh, so the thing that sort of if you like grounded my Christianity initially was was a sense that that I had stepped into a kind of relationship with God in something that was inevitably quite a subjective sort of way um, that no one else could really have uh, had access to that. That was something that was obviously personal to me. I think what apologetics did was gave me the tools to start to speak to people who simply hadn't had my experience and were uh, skeptical of Christianity, start to at least um, be able to look at things that we could both agree on, you know, the nature of the universe, human experience and other things, and start to have a conversation about whether there was evidence for God and Christianity from that. And and and, and I found that very helpful, but, but never felt that it was should be divorced or stand alone from that experiential side. For me, mm-hmm. uh, that ultimately has to has to happen. There has to be uh, an experience of God as much as the the evidence on an intellectual front for God, for someone to to, to be drawn towards God. So, um, so, so for me, the two go hand in hand. Even if on the show you primarily do hear the intellectual side of that rather than an, an experiential thing. Yeah, I think at least uh, at least in the Christian circles that I grew up in, experience is one of those things that we have to take lightly, and it doesn't it doesn't factor in in terms of the quote unquote proof of God's existence or proof of you know God in the Christian conception of God, and uh, so I I think that's. It's unfortunate because it is very much part of, I mean, it's our experience. I mean, even the apologetic, you know, process, you know, in in having conversations is part of an experience. And somebody, you know, however it is that one is convinced of the faith, whether you grew up that way and you've never left or whether you were an atheist or something non-Christian and you convert to Christianity, something as an experience is, is part of how you either stay or become a Christian. And the way that you sort of frame several chapters in your book is that believing in God makes sense. You don't, you, you shy away from saying, well, here is proof of God's existence and it's doggone it. These atheists can't listen to my proof. (laughs) Uh, So why, why does believing in God make sense to you? Yeah. I, I I sort of, um, I I found a helpful way of thinking about it um, is, is not sort of that the Christian has all the, burden of proof upon themselves to kind of 
prove that all their crazy beliefs about a supernatural being and you know Jesus rising from the dead are all, are all true. And while the atheist is simply sitting back as the neutral observer, waiting to be convinced, I what I've realised really from doing the show is that everyone has a worldview, very often whether they realise it or not, um, and a view which needs supporting. And most of the atheists I meet and interact with on the show do subscribe to some form of naturalism or materialism. So the view that all that ultimately exists is matter in motion, the forces of nature and so on. Uh, there's nothing in that sense supernatural about reality. And um, and of course, for me, what a lot of people miss is the fact, well, well, that is a way of seeing reality, but it's also needs justification because um, that's, you know, that there's a lot of assumptions built in to that mm-hmm. way of seeing things. And so for me, I, I in the book, tried to show why um, when you look at various aspects of reality around us that we can maybe agree on the the data for, the, the question is which worldview, the Christian one or the materialist, naturalistic worldview, do they best comport with, which, which um, you know, seems to best make sense of, of the data we, we have. And there are a number of ways in which I think Christianity, the Christian worldview, wins, that, that it makes more sense of what we see around us. And the three that I start out in the book with uh, are the idea that um, God makes sense of human existence, that God makes sense of human value, and that God makes sense of human purpose. Um, and the human existence one is kind of I get into quite a lot of the science stuff behind uh, why is there a universe at all um, and why are we in it, given that there is a universe. Uh, When you look at some of the factors involved in that, you know, Big Bang, fine-tuning, the fact we can do science at all, so much of it seems to comport better with a theistic worldview with some kind of a divine mind behind it than that we literally are just here as a sort of cosmic accident. Um, I think that that it stacks up, the the evidence stacks up more in favour of theism than atheism. Um, Likewise, human value, and this goes from looking outside of ourselves at the universe to inside ourselves and asking, why do we have this idea of human rights, uh, human value, intrinsic dignity, worth, and so on? And again, that idea, which seems to be so strongly felt by so many people, uh, especially in the West, uh, again, makes much more sense on a Christian worldview, in my opinion, than an atheistic one, where I I can't see any grounding for why that would be true, why there should be this objective sense of human value and worth and dignity and so on. And finally, um, human purpose. And this is less a kind of strict argument as such, but it's, it's recognizing that there is this search for the transcendent across all times, places, and cultures. And the question is, is it in vain? You know, are we just deluding ourselves? Uh, You know, is this just a trick played on us by some evolutionary process or something? Or could it be that there is actually an answer to this search? And again, for me, the Christian worldview makes more sense of that aspect of our existence, this search for the transcendent and for, for ultimate meaning and purpose. Whereas that's all a kind of an illusion, really, at the end of the day, uh, on a naturalistic worldview. So those are the three kind of big areas that I start with. Um, building a case for uh, for God, not specifically necessarily the Christian God, um, though elements of that I think do do make sense in the, in the Christian story, um, because it's after that that I then go on to, to kind of draw up, well, if there is a God, mm-hmm. has that God revealed itself to us? 
Yeah, you do talk it. You kind of lead into the uniqueness of the Christian story. Do you, you know, and I, I find it powerful to hear that reiterated for me. I mean, I understand it. And yet still, you know, this is why we go to church every week. We sometimes, you know, hear new things, but we often are reminded of who we are and where are we in this story. And and so the, it sounds powerful to me. Do you find that it resonates with your unbelieving friends? The Christian story, as sort of as in the yeah. story of, yeah, um, creation, fall, redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does, but you have to learn how to tell that story in a way that doesn't make people think, well, I've heard that and I've dismissed it already. Um, I think, unfortunately, you know, by its nature, Christians tend to live in a sort of a, to some extent, a culture of their own where we tend to end up using shortcuts in terms of language and, you know, uh, certain phrases and things which uh, make sense to us, but may not have the same, um, may not make sense for someone outside of that bubble, if you like. And so I think part of the, uh, the job of the apologist and evangelist is to reframe that story in a way that makes sense. Now, what's interesting is you're seeing some people outside of the traditional Christian church doing this quite successfully, I'd say, who, um, who don't necessarily lay claim to an Orthodox Christian faith. So people like Jordan Peterson, for instance, are doing really interesting stuff in with very largely secular audiences, but where they're basically taking the creation for redemption kind of narrative and, and dressing up in this sort of psychological, biological kind of language and, 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 and helping people to see that the Bible has a lot of interesting, <laughs> count, you know, um, overlap with, with the human condition. And obviously I believe that, you know, I believe the, the, the Christian story is the human condition met in Jesus Christ. But if I say that to an atheist or Skeptic. They may not. That may not be the most helpful way into the conversation because you know I, I come with all kinds of meanings behind that. So I think I think the real challenge is is telling the Christian story in a way that makes sense with where that person is. You know, it's doing the job that Paul did at the Oropagus, you know, in Athens, of taking the story that he knows as a Jew and making it relevant to a Greek philosopher, and uh, and you know. Even he, you know, he did a great job, but they still scoffed at him. So it's not—it's not saying this is an easy thing to do. That there's some magic key, um, but it's—but um, I think that is—that is the task uh, because I, I do believe this story does explain us, and, um, and and it's a great resource if we can, you know, help to put it across to to the generation that we find ourselves in. Yeah, I can imagine people are saying, well, hey, we have these ways of explaining our human existence in ways that we don't need the religious language. And yet you and I might look at that and say, well, that's just (laughs) kind of confirmation that the Christian story and the Christian worldview is on to something about reality that, you know, people may not pay attention to if we're using our language only. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and you you can break it up into different parts. I mean, one of the my favorite arguments for for God is the moral argument, which is essentially I do a version of that in in that chapter on um why God makes sense of human value and and for me, you know, there is a ready explanation for this idea of of human value that that so many people seem to believe in if we are made in the image of God and you know, God has even come and given himself in person because of the value he places on us. Uh, that makes sense of that, um, and I and I think that the your kind of your connection point with with your secular friend is that most of my atheist friends do believe in something like human rights and human value, and the question is, can they ground that? Is that does their worldview enable them to make sense of that? And if it doesn't, 
then you've you've put a, a stone in their shoe that might just turn into enough of an itch that they want to explore. Well, maybe there is a better explanation of this deep-seated sense I have that humans have intrinsic dignity, worth, and value. Um, and that's where the Christian story then shows up and says, hey, turns out people have been talking about this for centuries already and uh and and there's there's been this this particular way of seeing this so it's um i i think it's about finding those points where their worldview is struggling to make sense of something that that that, that they see and show why the christian worldview makes sense of that um in, in ways that perhaps are very often people are simply unaware of Hi, this is Carrie Baldwin of MereLiberty.com and a contributor here at the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you haven't heard, I'm debating Walter Block on the question of whether a woman has the right to evict or abort her fetus at any time during her pregnancy. This debate will be hosted by the Soho Forum at 3 p.m. on Sunday, December 8th at the Subculture Theater in New York City. Tickets for this event range from $12 to $24. Seating is limited and will likely sell out. Register now to reserve your seat. You can buy tickets at thesohoforum.org. To hear more about my position, you can visit my website at mereliberty.com slash abortion. So I can imagine that over now doing this for 13 years at this stage that you've probably changed a bit yourself uh, in terms of your views, your technique and approach to conversations and to non-believers. What are some things that you've changed? Have you had any theology changes in over the last decade? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And in, in a way, I think it would be disingenuous of me to, to sort of do a conversational program for 13 years and never change any of my views on anything in the process as though I had it all worked out in advance. Um, to be honest, <laughs> there's plenty of stuff I just didn't have a view on because I wasn't really aware of the the fact there were different views on this or hadn't really started to think through, you know, my particular view on this or that area of theology. Um, inevitably, in the course of doing so many discussions on so many issues, you start to process and think through and start to see how your theological kind of framework fits together. Um, and so, um, you know, one one example of where I would say my theology has changed in, you know, over 10 years of doing the show would be uh, around hell. Um, now, I grew up in a evangelical Christian background where it was kind of assumed the traditional view of hell was the view, um, you know, a kind of eternal conscious torment, as, as it's often put. Um, it wasn't long into doing Unbelievable that I started to listen to and engage with and host conversations on the different perspectives that exist and have existed for some time on that, um, whether it be uh, a universalist position or a kind of annihilationist position, the eternal conscious torment view. Um, and I, at this point, find myself actually persuaded by the what's sometimes called conditional immortality or annihilationist view that actually... Um, scripture doesn't support the idea that hell is a place of eternal conscious torment and um on a philosophical level ethical level i i find myself um much more if you like inclined to see that makes sense as well that those who ultimately refuse god's gift of life eternal life don't continue to live because they would have eternal life just of a different sort um that they actually um, you know, uh, cease to to exist. That 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 makes more sense for me of of an ultimate kind of bringing together of all things. Um, and so, that's not to say uh, I don't think there are good arguments on both sides, and I'm willing to listen to them. But where I find myself personally, uh, whereas a, a number of other Christians I know 
would find themselves at different ends of that spectrum um, is is there at the more or less the annihilationist position on that one. That's just one example, I think, where where my thinking mm-hmm. has kind of um, certainly changed, uh, having hosted a lot of these shows and, and them having, you know, then made me rethink my own position. What do you wish that Christians would stop believing about atheists? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think um, I think they need to stop believing that all atheists are um, cold-hearted, you know, people who just want to pull religion down. Uh, there are some of those, obviously, and sadly, some some of them. They're the ones that get the press. They're the ones who get <laughs> the most attention very often, um, because that's the nature of the media, isn't it? But on average, most of the, you know, atheists on the street that I meet are very similar to me in many ways. Uh, nice people, um, not interested in particularly shouting you down. And um, and I think uh, you have to, sometimes it's good to calibrate your, your picture of the atheist community because we can get a lopsided view if we just judge it on the basis of those who shout the loudest either on social media or in the in the, the the regular media. So so I think I think that's an important thing to do. Um recognize that Christianity doesn't give you either an immediate kind of monopoly on the best arguments or uh the best moral attitudes, you know, many many of them the atheists I meet uh, are very moral people, you know, they have very high moral principles and so on and so I, 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 I kind of cringe when I see Christians basically trying to uh, pull atheists down by kind of showing why they're, they're you know, by, by pointing to some kind of moral flaws in, in the individuals. You're, you're going to get that across the spectrum, atheist and Christian. We can all bring up examples of Christians behaving badly and atheists behaving badly. Uh, so, so I find that a bit of a, a pointless exercise very often. I'd rather simply engage with you know the person in front of me and their ideas than 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 kind of make out that somehow all atheists are like this or all mm. equally all Christians are like that. I, I I see a lot of it from the other side as well. You know, I, I'm I'm subscribed to the uh the friendly atheists um pathos um uh sort of email and uh I've had Hemant on a few times over the years. But I, I've got to say his his moniker, the friendly atheist, doesn't really fit the nature of the content <laughs> he produces because more or less his blog is one long string of this Christian did that. What an awful person. Mm. And I'm like, well, yeah, I could pull up, you know, all manner of people who claim to be atheists or non-believers who are doing things that we all think are terrible. That doesn't actually help much in then actually assessing the overall value of Christianity or atheism. So, yeah, yeah. That, that would be my my point. <laughs> I think every whatever tribe or group you might would ascribe has disreputable people and we're all hypocrites. So let's just level the playing field and not mm. make that our judgment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, this is, this is a question that I've sometimes asked myself on, on those days where, and, and I'll just be kind of honest here on air for a sec and say that, you know, when, when there are those moments where the Christian faith and, and I've had these, you know, in my past, doesn't seem as compelling as as it is in other times. Um, I often wonder, well, if I wasn't a Christian, what would I do? What would I be? Have you have you ever wondered that? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and let's face it, I've been there too. You know, uh, th- there's there's days when I think, oh, what what if I really am just fooling myself with all of this? You know, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and there are days when I think I could never be an atheist. That's just ridiculous. Um, and it's kind of like. Um, <laughs> I, 
it's like we said earlier that there's there's a place for feeling and emotion, uh, obviously, and experience, but it would be silly to, to to simply let the way we're feeling at this present moment dictate whether ultimately we're going to hold on to something uh, in the long term. But I know what you mean. That I, I sometimes daydream and think, you know, if if my life had taken that, that different turn, you know, uh, mm. what would I be doing now? What you know, uh, and yeah, I suppose that there is that question. You know, well, if I hadn't been raised in a Christian family and, you know, obviously had that experience going to church and, and that, would I be a Christian now if I was sort of, if I was in fact a non-Christian listening to something like Unbelievable today, uh, having never kind of, you know, maybe had an experience growing up in church or whatever, would I find these arguments compelling? Um, and I think that's a really good exercise to do actually, to, to because very often I think, um, it's one we tend to inevitably it's human nature be more biased towards arguments and evidence that support the position that we would like to be true i mean no one's going to deny that that's just a fact um and so i am gonna because i've got a certain amount invested in christianity being true i'm more likely to, to sort of give more weight to those arguments that seem to be to be in favor of christian faith whereas an atheist skeptical person might be more far less willing you know m might be more open to alternative explanations for that particular phenomena or whatever it, it might be so I, I think i just have to accept that that there that, that uh in the end arguments and evidence alone aren't the only thing in town when it comes to why people become christians why people stay christians or why they cease being christians uh there's a whole bag of mixed uh, motives and psychology and uh, spiritual stuff going on underneath the hood um that causes people to make decisions about what they believe and, and why they believe it i think i try as best i can and you know sort of force myself by doing this show every week to to kind of try to be objective and to try and weigh the evidence and 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 you know see honestly where it takes me but um none of us can completely shed uh, the, the the biases we have and that we come to everything with um so to some extent i i simply have to say yeah i this is this is where i am it makes sense to me for a whole variety of reasons one of the reasons is i think there are good arguments for it but i've had you know a lot of experiences that that have obviously shaped the way i think about reality um and for the person who hasn't had that experience I've got to, I've got to be understanding and say, yeah, that this the evidence alone isn't going to compel you to become a Christian. Uh, you're not going to get argued into the kingdom on the arguments and evidence alone, and maybe that's not a bad thing because, to some extent, that would also almost make if Christianity was somehow incontrovertibly true. Um, there, there's an element of me which thinks, well. Do we want people to become Christians purely on the basis of an intellectual argument? There's something more than that 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 has to be involved in in faith and in um, that there's there's something about the the God who draws us not just through the intellect but through something about the heart and the spirit and and everything else. And and I'm just happy from where I sit to say God knows much better than me what's going on inside of people and why they do or don't come to faith or, or whatever um and all i can do is do the best with where i'm sitting and what i understand to be the truth to uh to, to be faithful in that and um yeah that's uh it's a very long-winded answer i'm sorry for that, Doug, for that but uh. <laughs> no 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 i i really appreciate that because uh I, I think you're right that there is a sense in which we give a bias to the views we hope to be true and 
um, and, and that most resonate with us. And so, you know, arguments, if they don't resonate with our experience, they're not going to convince us very heavily, at, at least not at the weight that the person arguing wants it to, for sure. Mm. So I, I have one other question. It's a little uh, kind of a, it's off topic from what we just talked about. Um, and what is just more of a, uh, your experience, we'll, talk, we'll just lead, we'll segue it that way. What is, what is the experience of sitting down regularly with Tom Wright like? <laughs> Do you do you have to take off your shoes if, when you're in a room with him? <laughs> yes, um, ab- absolutely. Um, the, <laughs> I come out with my face shining, the reflected glory of Tom. Uh, that that has now it, it's he's he's a very um, Tom is obviously brilliant. You know he's he's just this extraordinary intellect, and he has this you know one in a million gift of also being able to marry it with being incredibly good at putting those ideas across to lay people both in uh when he you know is on camera or or audio or or in print and so there you have this amazing combination and that's why he has become so widely regarded um because he is both able to do that highly um academic um rigorous stuff that takes it you know a huge mind to do and he's able to present it to so many people in the christian church in in ways that are really helpful for them so i'm just incredibly privileged to be able to sit down with him uh, on a regular basis to record these uh, these podcasts the ask into write anything podcast where we just bring a whole bunch of questions together from listeners and uh, i fire them off at tom i mean tom i i tend to the day before we record um give him a little overview of, of the questions that we're doing, but he, he probably like looks at them on the way into the studio. Okay. <laughs> okay. But more or less he does it off the cuff. I mean, really, you know, there's very little kind of advanced kind of, you know, getting it all together and preparing some great answers. It's, it's really, he, he, he hears the question and he does a response and, and, and I, I'm just in awe of that because um, he is just, you know, incredible at being able to do that. And so, yeah, what can I say? Uh, and and on top of all that, he's he's kind of one of those um, just he's a very people person. Um, so some academics I meet, they're basically uh, brilliant academics, but they don't really have many social skills. Uh, there, but but Tom is uh, he just loves being around people, talking, uh, catching up. Um, he loves arts and music and kind of being in that kind of that setting. And and so I just find that you can talk about almost anything with him and you'll have a super interesting conversation. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, you'll be walking past someone as you're leaving the studio and he, he'll strike up a conversation with them and suddenly there'll be these other things happening. So it's just it's just fun. And uh, and, and as I say, um, for someone who's as busy as he, he is, I've, I've been incredibly fortunate that he, he kind of gives me this regular time to sit down and record the podcast and uh, and you know, that means I and all the people listening just get to know him that much better and and ju- just enjoy hearing what he has to say on things. Yeah, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to uh, because, you know, you could probably research a whole bunch of things about what Tom believes about this or that theology, but sometimes, you know, he doesn't write about, you know, the topic of uh, the, the promised land, Israel. And, you know, one of your recent episodes was about that. And I'm like, oh, wow, I have to listen to that because I don't know anywhere where he's answered that. So thank you for, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that was le- you leading the charge or what, but uh, thank you for that. Well, I, I got the idea for the podcast really. Um, it was around the time, you know, that one I mentioned uh, where Tom Holland and, and N.T. Wright sat down together. And um, 
knowing just how in demand Tom Wright is around the world, um, I just thought, wouldn't it be great if we could have some of these kinds of conversations just on a regular basis? And and I knew there'd be a big demand for it. And so uh, he very graciously said he he thought, you know, it would be worth the time to do it. And and it has been, you know, we, we've seen that podcast really take off in a very short time, reaching a lot of people. So it's very encouraging. And uh, yeah, we're, um, I mean, e- exclusive news, we're, we're kind of doing a very similar thing, f- similar format um, with another great scholar, Alistair McGrath. And we're going to be launching a podcast next year with him uh, in which it'll basically be the sort of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Alistair McGrath. And so Tom is kind of the go-to person on, you know, New Testament history and his areas of expertise. Alistair McGrath is the go-to person on anything Lewis related, basically. So if you're a... If if you enjoy N.T. Wright and you enjoy C.S. Lewis, um, look out for that. It'll be in your your podcast feed, hopefully at some point next year. Oh, that's excellent, excellent. So, wow, you're gonna be you're gonna be doing three podcasts. You have unbelievable. Ask N.T. Wright anything, and now this new one. Uh, where else can our listeners find you online? Twitter, Facebook, etc. Yeah, uh, you can you can find the unbelievable Facebook page if you just um, search up unbelievable with a question mark um, at unbelievable JB for my Twitter account. The web page of the show um, over at our website has all of the links as well there. So that's premierchristianradio.com forward slash unbelievable. We are in, in the process of getting together a kind of more bespoke website for unbelievable now that it's sort of a bit outgrown. It's sort of mm. what it originally was, one show among, among many on on the radio station. Um, so, so look out for that as well. But um, if this goes out in time, Doug, as well, um, li- listeners in the US might be interested in our forthcoming Unbelievable Conference um, in LA, well, the LA area, um, Costa Mesa, to, to be precise. And uh, that's the 11th and 12th of October. So that's going to be going out. Um, that That's uh, in, yeah, uh, in California, obviously, and unbelievable.live. But I'm not I'm not sure when this is actually going to air. So, so that may have been and gone by the time. Oh, no, it's fine. Well, will it be recorded for for those who do hear this afterward? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're we're going to make it the sessions available in some way afterwards. So, um, yeah, we've got John Lennox joining us for for that, which will be great. We're going to do a uh, an edition of our big conversation uh, series uh, on the Friday night at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. He'll be in conversation with Dave Rubin, who's a well known YouTube personality, um, agnostic Jew, and um, someone who's been hosting a lot of conversations himself with some interesting thinkers. And then following that up with a sort of all day unbelievable conference as well on the Saturday. So uh, unbelievable.live if uh, if you are able to, to get along in time. All right. Well, I just pulled up my schedule. So this will have to be a watch it afterward <laughs> consumption. <Okay. That's> <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that because I can't be there live. But you know, me personally, now knowing we've recorded this ahead of time, I will jump on. <laughs> so, right, right. Justin, thank you for being on on the podcast here and uh, wish you well in the conference. And I look forward to all the all the future episodes you've got for us. Thank you so much, Doug. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you like today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. 
The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute. To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calltofreedombook.com.